Well, guys, uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. We've uh, been going through this series, and we've just a few weeks into it, uh, the series on the kingdom of God. Uh, And one of the challenges for us to jump into this study is to really wrap our minds around something that's so large and broad. And uh, theologically, it's really difficult at times. At the same time, I think that this is a topic that is extremely important uh, for the church, for our cultural movement, uh, our cultural moment, and individually um, for us as Christ followers. And I'll tell you why. What you see out there today in the the climate today, particularly among Christians, is more and more a lack of faith in God's word. And more and more creating our own experience of God and, and letting that drive it. And that is a reaction to some things that I think are really significant. Maybe uh, a reaction to a dead church that some people have grown up in, uh, where we've heard all about the living God, yada, 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 right? But there's nothing going on, no real life change for us. Or maybe it stems from the way the church has used specific scriptures to oppress people rather than to free people. And so with those bad tastes in our mouth, some have decided to remove the scripture as any authority over their cultural moment. But what if, rather than saying the problem is with God's word, maybe the problem is with us and how we live it out or maybe how we interpret it. And so uh, you see the pendulum swinging towards this creating of our own reality, which can be good, but can also be very dangerous. And I believe it's because we have misunderstood Christ and his word and his kingdom and what he meant when he said it's near. And this kingdom is something we can't just wrap our minds around because in 2013, there is this dualism that enters in where the kingdom of God is, is heaven and it's spiritual and it's otherworldly. And this, this is my life. It's reality. It's what I touch and I feel. Uh, and so I need to create this spirituality that, uh, for this world and for this time. But rather than understanding that Christ, uh, he was really holistic when it came to his relationship with him and his kingdom, And the way his kingdom would reign. And so we treat holistic spirituality like we're trying to get all of our parts together into this integrated world. Rather than us integrating the whole of God and his kingdom. It's a really different paradigm. And so what I want to look at today is, is what was Jesus specifically teaching about when he talked about the kingdom? How was he describing it? What picture or images was he trying to paint? And this might end up being a long series, but at the same time, we're gathering information and invitations that he gives us to understand and walk in his kingdom. And so last week, we looked at what would his audience have understood about the kingdom of God. And when he says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. And so we walked through some of the Psalms and um, prophetic writings, getting a better look at what his listeners understood about the kingdom of God. And for us, we don't know what it means. We can't wrap our minds completely around it. But for them, they were not caught up in this otherworldly ideology. Instead, uh, they, uh, they didn't get caught up in the dualism. They believed that God could break into history and act on earth. It was part of their story. It went way back to creation and, and in the garden. And so three things that we looked at, it said, we, they believe that God does and will reign over all the earth and over all the people of the earth. That was in Psalms 46. Number two said, uh, they anticipated that when God acted, it had tangible results in their life now. 
So there was grace and mercy and justice would show up. That was in Isaiah 61. That they would have understood that God would show up one final time. That he would establish his kingdom on earth in a very powerful way. That was Isaiah 9. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene, uh, it wasn't anything that they had anticipated. They were looking for some superhero mega power to come in and take out Rome and establish the throne of God. Instead, this homeless carpenter showed up talking about loving your enemies. So they anticipated that the kingdom of God would show up in all of its glory, that Rome would get booted out and that God would reign supreme. But Jesus, he showed up in the womb of this unwed teenage girl who has a crazy rural cousin from the hills, right? Who comes running in, dressed in sheep's clothing, eating locusts, yelling about the Messiah. And all the people are asking, could this really be the one? I mean, we're seeing signs of it, but uh, people are starting to get healed and stuff. But this is a homeless carpenter. That's not real impressive to the whole world, right? You know, that's not something we're going to the UN with, right? Saying, man, we got this new weapon, right? It's, it's disguised in this homeless carpenter, right? You know, it wasn't just that the people of his, you know, day didn't believe that. Even John the Baptist was a bit confused about it. If you remember John, he was the voice uh, of Isaiah, the prophet, you know, coming in from the wilderness saying, make straight the path. Here comes the king of kings. And he ends up in jail for telling the truth uh, about this king's sin. Uh, and they're threatening to cut off John's head. And so John, he, he gets word out to his disciples. He says, go find Jesus and ask him, is he the one or, or is there another one coming? Because I don't want to lose my head. And when they get there, they, they find Jesus and Jesus doesn't send uh, them back with a message for John. He doesn't say, hey man, just chill out. I'm the one. It's okay. Instead, he tells them, go and tell John what you've seen. Tell him what you've witnessed. And so Jesus' teaching on the kingdom isn't just for a, a challenge for us today. It was a challenge for his audience at the time as well. They understood what the message was. They just weren't happy about the one who was communicating the message. But just because it's a challenge for us, it, it might not, and we might not like who it's coming from, doesn't mean we should not deal with it, discuss it, and walk through it together. But we need to really pay attention. Because if we buy into the fact that Jesus claimed to be the king of his kingdom, that he was this historical figure that people say rose from the dead, and then he's about to make some huge claims about himself and about God. And so whether you're a Christ follower or not, we need to pay attention to this. Because these are significant claims that he's making. And that if you decide that you want to follow Christ, this is who he is and what he's about. So look at me, a book of Matthew chapter 13. We'll look at some ways that Jesus redefines the kingdom uh, for his people, how he expands it, uh, widens their view, kind of turns it upside down. But first, I want to say something very important that happened in chapter 12. Uh, Up to this point, Jesus has been using uh, billboards to tell stories about the kingdom, healing people, doing all sorts of miracles. But in chapter 12, Jesus heals a man who is blind and mute. And the religious leaders, they they gather together at the local coffee house and they hear the people talking, saying things like, if this was the Messiah, is is this the son of David? And the Pharisees, they jump in and they begin making claims that this was the devil who was uh, casting out the demons. And so Jesus responds to the Pharisees and says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
The kingdom of God is showing up and you have rejected it so much that you have called it an act of the devil. And if you are not for me, then you are against me. And this rejection becomes a pinnacle for his ministry because now Jesus moves from these billboards to talking about his kingdom and now starts using stories or, or, or what he calls parables. And he says, the reason I'm going to use parables is in verse 13 of chapter 13. So let me read it. It says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And so there's this rejection that has taken place. As the Pharisees have rejected Jesus in his kingdom, so God turns them over to their hardened hearts, and the prophecy is fulfilled. And so Jesus begins to speak to them in parables. And as he speaks to them in these parables, he speaks by giving small insight that shows up in everyday life and teaches very profound aspects of the kingdom. Jesus, starting with the parable of the sower, speaks of this idea of the kingdom being already here, but not yet fully. That the kingdom of God is showing up, but it's showing up in pieces. Which begs the question, well, what does it look like? How do we know it's the kingdom? And and this is what he says. The kingdom does not just drop in and take over your life. In other words, the kingdom does not just show up in your life and then you have, and you have a choice to respond to it now. As Christ followers, we have this partnership with Christ in relationship that we can determine what the kingdom is going to look like in our life. It's not this static thing that we're just this passive spectator for, but it's a dynamic reality that we're engaged in. He says that one of the first things you'll need to understand is, is that how you listen and how you pay attention to my teachings about the kingdom radically dictates the impact it has on your life. The heart condition that you bring to the table or, or through these doors this morning, or the lens in which you see life through when it comes to my kingdom and who I am, radically dictates the impact on your life. And he explains this in the first parable he tells. It's the parable of the sower. And many of you are familiar with the story. But there's this farmer who goes out and he plants seed. And as he does, some seed falls along the path and the birds came and they ate it. Then some fell on the rocky soil and it grew quickly, but the soil was shallow and the sun scorched the plants. And they withered because they had no roots. The other seed fell among thorns and weeds, which grew up and they choked the plants. But then there was other that fell on good soil where they produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. And at this point, the disciples, you know, they were fishermen and they're like, you know, we have no idea what he's talking about, right? What do you mean, Jesus? And so Jesus says in verse 16, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is the seed, this is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, 
He lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell among the good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Essentially, this is the parable Jesus is saying, we need to listen and pay attention because the condition of our heart radically determines what the kingdom of God produces in your life. And the question as we go through this study is, is what kind of heart do I have? As we talk about the kingdom of heaven this morning, there are some of you who won't hear any of it. And as soon as the words hit your heart, the enemy snatches it away. Others of you are going to hear it and get excited about it. And you'll have a strong desire to apply it to your life. But the minute you walk out of church, life's problems show up. And you'll be consumed by them and forget what we talked about. Others of you, you're doing well with your relationship with Christ. And there's evidence of growth taking place, but just no real fruit. And the worries of tomorrow and the lies of success and busyness and, and laziness begin to choke you out. Priorities and focus are not in the right place. And all of us, we want Jesus to come in and we want him to make this life better. We want him to be the king of our kingdom. And he says, hey man, that's not my fault. Check your heart. But he says, others of you are going to hear it. And it hits good soil. And it's going to produce a beautiful crop. And the kingdom of God is going to show up in your life. And so what kind of heart are you listening with this morning? Then he immediately moves from this into this parable of the weeds in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? 28, an enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go out and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. After sharing this parable, the crowd left and Jesus went to the house with the disciples and they asked Jesus to explain, man, what did you mean this parable of the weeds? What was it about? Verse 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be with the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who, are, who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who, hears, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus paints this picture of a kingdom breaking in in pieces. This already but not yet reality of his kingdom. He says that when you look into the world and you see the mess, you see this wheat that I have sown, lives that I have changed, places that I have touched, you see my kingdom showing up. 
But right in the midst of that, you see weeds, you see sin, evil, brokenness. And God says there is this present reality and I'm out there in the world and I'm active. And there's this enemy who's coming in against my work. And you're seeing the results of both as those works showing up at the same time in the harvest field. And for many of us, we sit and we look at evil. We, we look at the sting of death and we say we hate it. We don't, we don't understand it. The reality of the mess is, is right there in front of our faces. And God says, I'm not ripping the weeds out right now. I'm letting them grow up together. And the reason I'm letting them grow up together is because there's still a process right now called sanctification. And I'm constantly shaping you and molding you. He says that in the already, in the here and now, I'm at work. I'm going, uh, I'm growing my people. I'm transforming their lives. I'm, uh, sanctification is happening. And I'm in opposition to the enemy. And the en- enemy is hidden among the wheat. And yet there is this not yet, this not fully here aspect of my kingdom. And it's coming in its fullness. It's coming with judgment, with redemption, coming with, with uh, to be complete, coming with the vindication of his purposes over evil. But when we hear the word or we say the word judgment, we go, well, that's not a, that's not a great thing to talk about, pastor, right? You know, that's not real politically correct today. But really, what is judgment? It's making things right. When you have a friend whose life, life has been taken from them, everything inside of you wants things to be made right. Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming and I'm coming with judgment and I'm going to make everything right. That means there's going to be judgment towards evil. He's taking sin and evil out of the world. And there will be people who are evil, who have rejected me and I am taking them out too because I'm coming with judgment. My kingdom has a final consequence for the nation that we can anticipate. But it also has a present fulfillment that when you look out in the world, he says, I'm reaping a harvest and I'm transforming lives. The already and not yet. It's a process. And so he defines that for us. And when you think about it, you and I, when we think about it, what if we really knew the future? Would that change where you are going to bank your heart on in this age? Does it change uh, what you're going to invest your life in today? Jesus comes in and he says, I want to teach you something new about the kingdom of heaven. Verse 31. He told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. There is the smallest of all seeds. When it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch on its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into large amounts of flour until it worked all through the dough. And so Jesus is speaking to them. He's saying the present aspect of the kingdom that is challenging for everybody right now is that it didn't just show up with this royal robe and this big hat and a big throne and a big stick and just wipe everyone out and bring the final picture of his kingdom. It actually showed up as a servant who's going to die in a willing sacrifice so that the doors of his kingdom are wide open to everybody. And the reason that people are challenged by this is because it it was showing up in very small uh, pieces, like these 12 guys having this conversion. It was a mustard seed that is this organic in nature in terms of how it grows, but it's this dynamic relationship with the creator. 
It's growing, it's advancing, it's progressing, it's getting huge and will ultimately take over and be fulfilled. But we're in this place where the yeast is still spreading through the dough. And he says the kingdom of heaven has already began to show up, but not yet fully. It's breaking in pieces. Uh, There is uh, this reality to it. It's moving, it's growing, it's advancing, it's progressing. But at the same time, it's not fully here or realized. That was a new understanding for them. That the kingdom reign is breaking in. It's taking over the kingdom of this age, but it's a gradual process. And when you think about the picture, when Jesus says, your heart, your heart really determines the response that the kingdom is going to have on your life. That my kingdom is showing up really small and it may seem insignificant to you. But the reality is is that there's wheat growing up all over the place right now. And it's here and it's now. And my kingdom is a kingdom in opposition though. There's an enemy. And the enemy is continually here in the midst of what I'm doing. But I'm coming back in my kingdom with its fullness. And I will make things right. I will redeem all people and the earth. But when you look at all that, you think about its present reality in our lives. Well, what's it worth to you if it's true? What is this, what's this story worth? If it's true, what are you going to do differently? If it's true, what would you change about the way you're living right now if it's true? And last one, verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of the, with great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. One of the things about contemporary Christianity is that we've lowered the bar to the least common denominator to get in. You know, if we just, we just sit at that table and we don't give and we don't serve and we, really, we don't even really care, right? We just show up on Sundays. Jesus is cool with that, right? And yet when you read through the Gospels, this Jesus doesn't seem real cool about that, right? But I guess the church knows better. We've lowered it to the least common denominator and said, you can have the kingdom of the world and Jesus too. Just tack that sticker on the back of your Mercedes. Not that you can't have a Mercedes or donate it to the church, but essentially it's saying that you can have everything about this world and Jesus too. He's here to bless it and massage it and make it okay for you. When Jesus is here saying, no, I want your heart. And this heart stuff, it's not about uh, your cash or your time. I'm not talking about what you do or don't do for your church. I'm just talking about your heart. Where have you banked your heart? Jesus uses really bizarre language in this parable when he says, he went with joy and sold everything he had. With joy, he sold everything he had. I wonder how many of us would feel great about that, right? I'm not sure I would. Hey guys, I want you to sell everything you have and and then the kingdom is yours, right? Just come with me. Sounds kind of David Koresh-like, right? Man, I got this, I got this cool place in Waco, man. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, The the fires, the flames of hell couldn't burn us down, right? You might want to watch out for that. Don't drink the Kool-Aid there. But here in scripture, there's this sense of joy that there is something that is so much better than that guy already had. This one pearl of great, of such great value in his present reality that he was willing to cash in 
all that he had, all the things that his heart had banked on. And when you talk about the time and money, sex, power, kids, careers, hobbies, those are places where idols are really strong in our lives today. And it wasn't a whole lot different in Jesus' day. And so Jesus uses the cash example that the guy sold everything with joy. What is the kingdom worth to you if it's true? What if he's really coming with the sickle that they talk about in Revelation 14? If in this present reality, his kingdom can show up in your life and produce a harvest that is a hundred times greater, what is it worth to you? What are you willing to cash in? It's a question that only you can answer and only I can answer. But there are two places to start. The first is recognizing that this is already present reality. That when I go and I sell all I got, I get the pearl today. I get the relationship with Christ and forgiveness. And, and, the, and then, then the other is recognizing the kingdom is, is not already here. It's a hope and anticipation, but it should have strong enough hold in your life where you're willing to say, you know what? I can go without this thing. I can give this up. I can sacrifice in this way. I can serve in this way. What is it worth to you and what are you willing to give up? What do you need to give up? You know, what kind of soil you're living in? You know the condition of your heart. Whether you're the guy that's not paying attention to it at all and Satan takes it from you. Whether you're the guy who's who's super emotional, you get excited about these ideas about God, but at the end of the day, there's no root. When it's time to cash in your chips, they're banked on this world. Some of you, you're the guy that the the soil that that drowned out, it's choked out, it's uh, unproductive because all the worries and you're consumed by this world and stuff and life. Some of you, you have great soil. You're producing a great harvest. I don't know. But are you willing to cultivate your heart and say, God, could your kingdom show up in a way that it's real and tangible and like nothing I've ever had before in my life? Could it create hope in me so that when I look out at the mess of this world in my life, I can anticipate a day when the evil is taken away. That it's big enough to overcome the stuff. And if it's not, and we're just playing games with this faith thing. But, I, but I'm here today to, to tell you that it's true. And that I'm, I'm baking all my chips on that. Join me in prayer. God, today as we worship you in one last song, find us where we're at. Test the soil of our heart. Turn Till cultivate. May our ears be open, our, uh, our eyes be open to see that you came, died for us, forgave us, reconciled us through the cross and resurrection, and that your kingdom is real, it's showing up. That if we invest in you, we believe that we can have that pearl today. And know with and wait with hope and anticipation of one day the evil will be no more. The mess of life will be over. But until that time, we worship you. We want to follow you with our life. We want to give you all we have. 
in exchange for this world. Letting go and taking hold of you. God, hear us today. Know us today. May we know you. May our worship be true. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stay and sing.